Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Naked Exchange. As usual, I'm Lucy. And I'm Virginie. And we're here to discuss sex, love, relationships and anything else that strikes our fancy. Today's episode is going to be the first one in our series of STBBIs. Yep. And so STBBIs are sexually transmitted and bloodborne infections. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the newest way that people refer to um, these kinds of infections. Mm -hmm. uh, previously, other terminology used to be STD or STI, uh, but they didn't really reflect the reality, and they're also a little bit stigmatizing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when we think about STBBIs, the word is more accurate because infection um, is in it. So some conditions may or may not have visible symptoms. Some of them may or may not be cured. And so that is kind of a more inclusive term. Mm -hmm. And then additionally, not all STBBIs are transmitted through sexual contact. Right. And so there's many kinds of STBBIs. Mm -hmm. And Lucy, I'm impressed because I just read you a list and you went through all of them and you went, oh, this is an infection. This is a this, this is a that. So can you do that again? Because that was awesome. Sure. Um, so yeah, so there's there are loads of different ones. Some you've probably heard of, some maybe are not so familiar, but they can be broken down into um, various categories. Um, so most commonly either viruses, bacteria or protozoas. What's a protozoa? A protozoa is basically like a little organism, a little bit like a parasite okay. um, that lives in various parts of the body. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So some of the most common ones are chlamydia, which is a bacteria, um, herpes, which is a virus, uh, genital warts, which is also caused by a virus called the human papillomavirus, gonorrhea, which is a bacteria. Hepatitis B, which is a virus, uh, syphilis, which is a bacteria, uh, trichomoniasis, which is the protozoa that okay. we were talking about, yeah. Um, HIV, which is um, a virus and can lead to a syndrome called AIDS. Um, uh, hepatitis A, which is another virus. Uh, a few other ones are cytomegalovirus, uh, molluscum contagium, mycoplasma genitalium, hepatitis C, and also something called bacterial vaginosis, which, while not technically a sexually transmitted infection, can be caused by sexual contact. And also scabies and pubic lice, which again, uh, they can be spread through sexual contact, but not technically sexually transmitted. Okay, and yeah. so there's, there's, as you said, there's bacterias and viral STBBIs, mm -hmm. and the bacterial STBBIs can be treated and cured, yeah. but STIs caused by viruses usually cannot be cured. Yeah. Um, and so I think that when people hear about herpes, they're like scared, right? Because mm -hmm. they're like, oh my gosh, this is incurable, I'm going to have this for life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but something that we would like to point out to our listeners is that if you get the chicken pox as a mm -hmm. kid mm -hmm. you will always have the chicken pox virus in your blood yep. so it's just something that you carry with you mm -hmm. um and it it doesn't make you die i mean you were, we're all dying from <laughs> everything always but not from this you know i feel like there's like such such negative connotations yes. around it yeah but really it's totally yeah. entirely normal yeah absolutely you're absolutely right and I, I guess it's common you know we hear uh things like for life um you know incurable um, incurable you know these kind of things yeah they are they are scary terms and i also think as human beings um we like to think that we 
have complete control and awareness over our bodies. So we kind of like to think that if there's something there that shouldn't be, we want to get rid of it, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what we kind of don't realize is our bodies are completely covered in bacteria, parasites, and we carry lots of viruses around in our body, um, lifelong or otherwise. Um, and most of the time we, we're completely unaware that that's totally. going on. Yeah, we think yeah. we take a shower and use some yeah. soap and we're squeaky clean. <laughs> I have news for you, dear listener. No. There are millions of bacteria on yeah. you and in you. <laughs> and, and they're helpful, right? Like oh, yeah. Most of us probably know that you're supposed to have good gut health. Mm-hmm. And we, we know that that means that there's bacteria in your gut that are there to help you know with your digestion and it's important to have a good balance you know so for some reason some of the things we're kind of comfortable with but then other other ones like the herpes virus we hear that and we think oh god no that's terrible right so, yeah um i guess we'll, we'll go into a little bit about why that might be um but yeah i guess we should maybe just talk a little bit about about herpes that's going to be the focus of today's episode yes and hopefully try and explain a little bit about what it is and hopefully some myths about it yeah yeah well let's start by um what what is it you know you say it's a virus but tell me more okay yeah so the full name of the virus is the herpes simplex virus um and so sometimes we would shorten it to hsv Mm -hmm. so some you may or may not have been to the doctor and and the doctors use the term hsv with you Um, i feel like herpes is faster to say than hsv (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) doctors tend to make things more complicated than they need to be yeah for sure and it's always that thing and i have worked in a medical setting you know of course as medical professionals we get used to using the proper terms for things um so we know what we're talking about but i think you have to always remember that the general public doesn't know Mm -hmm. the medical terms for things so i would always try and just use herpes because you're right that's more common and and easier to say yeah Um, there's two two types yeah for sure um interestingly there's actually more than two oh yeah so there's actually loads of um different types of the virus i think up to about eight or nine even wow um, but certainly, yeah, one and two are the, the most common and, and the ones that we would be thinking about in terms of maybe uh, people having and, and dealing with on a, on a regular basis. I see. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about having herpes, um, basically what we usually mean by that is that you experience the symptoms of the virus. Okay, yeah, because I... We just, um, I just Googled this. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Google. Um, And we found out that 90% of the population has one or both viruses. Right, exactly. Of of nine. So the two most common are type one and type two. Yeah. And so, you know, 90% of the population has Mm. the herpes Mm. virus. Yeah. Are you surprised by that? I, yeah, yeah, actually I am. Yeah. Because I think that when we talk about having herpes, we talk about like the symptoms, right? Like exactly. the the cold sore or or that visible aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was surprised by that yeah. statistic. Yeah, I don't. I think you're probably not alone um, in that because you're right. When we say um, I have herpes, or or even if we say oh, I don't have herpes, mm-hmm. um, I think what probably we're meaning is I've never had the symptoms of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can absolutely have the virus itself and just never have any symptoms of it, or perhaps even have very mild symptoms that you've just never noticed or kind of put two and two together about what that might be. I see. And yeah. so you can carry this virus. Mm 
for a really long time yeah. before you experience symptoms or you might never experience symptoms? Yeah, both of those are true. Um, so when you first come into contact with the virus, um, it is possible for you to get symptoms um, usually within about two weeks of the first contact of the virus, um, but not for everyone. Some people, um, the virus sort of almost lies dormant mm -hmm. and then it, for whatever reason you can get symptoms months, even years after you first came into contact with the virus. Um, so it's really hard to, to know um, how your body might react because we're all, we're all different. Right, and so the stigma around that is, oh, I don't have, I've never experienced these physical symptoms, which right. you know can be like blisters or ulcers on the skin, might be very painful and itchy. Um, it means that I don't have the virus, it means I'm clean, I'm yeah. safe, etc. Um, because it's seen like as something really bad to have it. Mm. But when you consider it, 90% of the population yeah. has one or both types, yeah. then really you're abnormal if you don't have <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You'd be, definitely be in the minority if you didn't uh, carry the virus, for sure. Yeah, and you know, also it, it's interesting that we, if it's on your face, you know, we call it cold sores, mm -hmm. and it and it's almost like that's quite like a socially accepted term. Right. You know, I think most people wouldn't be too bothered about saying like, oh, I've got a cold sore, or, you right. know, I've got cold sores. Um, you can also get herpes symptoms on your hands and feet, um, and it's called Whitlow's. Um, but for some reason, to kind of say I have herpes, which we've kind of attached to being that you have on your genitals. Mm -hmm. For some reason, socially, we've decided that's not okay. Yeah. Uh, but really, it's no different from having it on your face or on your hands and feet. That's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, is there one that is more common than the other? Um, so, generally speaking, um, one is a bit more common. Um, so, I'm sorry, which one's type one? <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, so most commonly type 1 will be facial herpes and type 2 will be genital herpes. Oh, okay. Um, but it's not um, impossible to have type 2 on your face and type 1 on your genitals. Um, it's just, it's more common the other way around. And so, you know, let's say you have type 2 on your face, mm -hmm. will it present the same way that if you have type 1 on your face? Yeah. Like, will it look the same? It will look exactly the same. Oh, okay. So the symptoms don't change? The symptoms don't change. Um, there's a little bit of, and I believe this is kind of like anecdotal evidence, to suggest that type 2 um, can mean that you get the symptoms more often. Okay. Um, but certainly like, that's, you know, I've seen people with type 2 and it never getting the symptoms and mm -hmm. people with type 1 that get the symptoms more frequently. So it's kind of one of these things that often just comes down to each individual person. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, let's say that um, one of our listeners has herpes or just mm -hmm. found out yeah. that they have it. Um, like, what would you tell them? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's always common to be shocked whenever we are told that we have a sexually transmitted infection. Um, so it's normal to feel maybe a bit shocked or a bit upset um, or a bit confused. You know, I think all these feelings are normal. Um, but it's important to maybe think about what we've said, which is that it's, mm -hmm. it's very common. Mm -hmm. um, it's not harmful in any way to you. Mm -hmm. um, and really, apart from the symptoms maybe being a bit uncomfortable, um, there's nothing that you really need to actively do about it. So so can yeah. I still, let's say I have herpes, mm. um, can I have sex? 
Yeah, so the most common way that you're going to pass uh, the virus on um, is through skin-to-skin -skin contact with friction. Um, so basically two per people's skin being placed together and then there being friction between. So we can see how obviously sexual contact is going to mm -hmm. be quite an easy way for it to be passed. Does there have to be an active outbreak or like symptoms visible for it to be transmitted? So no, and this okay. is where it also can you know be a bit confusing because um, the virus most often is dormant and when it's dormant it lives in your spine um, and when it becomes active it travels down the nerves um, and becomes active on the surface of the skin. When that happens you might notice and that's when we typically would see the kind of tingly feeling that people maybe have experienced or you've heard about mm -hmm. you get that tingle like and you kind of know like oh I'm about to get some symptoms mm -hmm. um, and so that will kind of that's the basically the virus traveling down the nerves that's why it's tingly. At that point the virus is active on the surface of the skin and it can potentially then be passed on to somebody else but just because you have the tingle doesn't necessarily mean that you will get a blister um, so some people don't get the blister um, you might not notice the tingle it might be very mm -hmm. mild and you might not get the tingle so mm -hmm. we can sometimes have what we call asymptomatic shedding mm -hmm. of the virus mm -hmm. which just means that there's no symptoms so asymptomatic means there's no symptoms mm -hmm. shedding just means the virus is active um, so you may not know that the virus is active at that point but but it is and therefore it can be passed on at that time so yeah, so I would always say, you know, if you obviously notice the tingle, um, you know, it'd probably be a good idea to avoid sexual contact because that's the most likely time you're going to pass it on. Mm -hmm. um, but it it's not going to be 100% that you would always know. That's why it's so common. Um, right. Because it's so easy to kind of pass. What a sneaky little virus. <laughs> it is pretty sneaky. Huh. <laughs> and so, but, you know, if let's say you have a blister mm. or like a very physical um, symptom. Yeah. It's only at that time that it can be accurately tested for, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so the way that we test for herpes is that we swab one of mm -hmm. the blisters. And so a swab is like a big um, cotton swab, kind of like what you would use to clean your ears out, yeah. even though you're not supposed to use, <laughs> use them in your I ears. I know, but I do. What's up with that? I know, I, know, I know that that you're not meant to do that, but I can't not clean my ears. It's I know. Weird. Going back to that and all, though. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So yeah, big Q-tip or cotton swab. Right. Um, and basically the doctor would be trying to get some of that liquid from inside the blister. Oh, right. So you know how like a blister is basically like a little um, bubble of skin with fluid in it. And if you kind of, the same way that if your shoes are rubbing you, you would mm -hmm. get a little blister and you might want to pop it because it's sore. So we're basically looking to get some of that liquid in there onto the swab. Um, and that's what we send away to the lab and that's what we test okay. to see if the virus is present or not. Okay, so I get, I get a lot of clients asking me, oh, can I get a blood test for mm. herpes, like trying to figure out if I have the virus or not. So, right. And I, I, I think that we don't really do that, mm. but I don't really know why, and I know that you do, so I'm asking <laughs> you, Lucy. Yeah, and absolutely, because, you know, of course we want people to have ownership over their, their health, um, but it, and I, it's important that you can understand the rationale behind why we do certain things. Mm -hmm. So first of all, kind of, this, like we've said, the swab is the most accurate way, but we do need it to be a fresh blister so we can get some of that fluid on there. Yummy. Uh, yummy. So if your symptoms are healing, then we might not be able to get a good sample. Oh. So the swab can come back negative, 
but that doesn't mean that you don't have herpes it just means that we weren't able to get a good enough sample right so if you are worried i would always recommend like as soon as you notice any kind of symptom on there mm-hmm. kind of get yourself down to you know your local sexual health clinic or, or gp surgery um really just as quickly as you can because it's going to be more likely to get an accurate result on a fresh mm-hmm. blister um, now you're right there is a blood test um, because it is a virus and, it, and it's in the blood we can pick it up in a blood test now the problem with that is as we've discussed 90% of the population carries a virus mm-hmm. so chances are if you had a blood test it's going to come back positive for the herpes virus but the thing is that doesn't tell us um, First of all, whether or not you are somebody that will get any symptoms, right. as we've discussed. So if you have symptoms and we do a blood test and it tells you that you have herpes, we can't really say for certainty that the virus that we've picked up in the blood test is causing your symptoms. Oh, so you could be having like another STBDI yeah. causing issues or making you feel uncomfortable Mm. the blood test picks up the herpes and you're like oh this is why i'm having this right but maybe you're having something else that could be treated exactly oh i see so because it's not it's just it's a general test if you will because it's in the whole bloodstream it's not because we want to get that swab on the actual blister to confirm that that blister is herpes and it's not one of the other things that we mentioned oh, earlier okay. um so that's why so so it basically can't tell you what your symptoms are uh, it can't tell you when you know you came into contact with the virus right because it can lie dormant for exactly. years years yeah. so you might have gotten it as a kid right yeah. like sharing yeah. a straw with a friend or exactly, something yeah. and then 15 years later you have symptoms yeah okay so yeah so that's why even though the blood test exists and i know that some people you know they kind of they hear that that test exists and so that they want that test because they want to know if they have herpes or not and you know i get that and they can get a bit frustrated maybe if the doctor is kind of saying like no we're not we don't offer that mm-hmm. um, and so it's get i guess that's why that's how i would always explain it to somebody is actually that test is not going to give you the answer that you want it's not going to tell you uh, what your symptoms are if you have any and if you don't have any symptoms um, and it comes back positive for herpes, that doesn't mean that you will ever get symptoms in your life. Um, so it's kind of a bit of a pointless test in a way. I see. Yeah. And so I guess I have another question then. Mm-hmm. If um, my partner um, were to show symptoms mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I, I, may, I do the math and 90% of people <laughs> have it. I probably have it. My partner has symptoms whatever, let's just get frisky without taking any precautions because I have it anyway. Like, yeah. is that, would that be kind of like a dangerous perspective or like what, what would you advise in that scenario? Yeah, I mean, obviously um, this depends on the kind of relationship this is. So right. uh, <laughs> if it's a long-term partner and you've both had a screen that's come back negative for other infections and mm-hmm. you're confident that it's a monogamous relationship, um, you know, it's really up to you whether you want to use uh, condoms or not at that point. But I guess specifically in terms of herpes, because it's passed through skin to skin contact and not sexual fluids, for example. Right. A condom um, wouldn't necessarily stop it. Exactly. So if the condom doesn't cover the area of skin where you get your symptoms, then it's not going to provide any protection. I'm imagining this like <laughs> <laughs> this like full plastic body. sheet, like full body <laughs> condom. Yeah. And then that way you're well, like protected. Pretty much. I mean, we're laughing, but that's the reality. It seems yeah. quite uncomfortable. Yeah. So, so it, 
yeah, of course, this is always, you know, your personal preference and choice and you should make an informed decision. But again, it's, it comes back to that's why it's so common and that's why it's so prevalent, because it is quite easy to pass. Condoms are not always going to protect you. Um, so, yeah, by all means, um, you know, use one if you feel more comfortable or, or avoid sexual contact around the time symptoms are there. You're going to greatly reduce the chance of it being passed on. But uh, it is really one of those things where um, it's pretty difficult to say 100 percent. That we can stop it right yeah. and so I guess the other thing too is um, just respecting people's self-determination autonomy and the right to make informed decisions mm-hmm. if you have herpes you should be telling your partners about this right yeah absolutely um, so when it comes to telling people um, obviously there's understandable anxiety about that mm-hmm. because um, we're worried that people are going to react poorly um, and we're worried that we're going to be rejected. And, and these are real worries. Um, and they're very valid. Absolutely valid, yeah, yeah of course. Um, but, you know, I would always say that it's, you know, it's your information, um, it's, it's your personal health information, it is your decision to um, disclose that or not. Uh, and you have to decide what's kind of best for you. But why I would encourage telling people is if in the unlikely event that they did happen to get symptoms after you guys had been intimate together or for whatever reason they find out down the line and you haven't told them that's usually when people get most upset Mm -hmm. because it's almost it's about um the kind of being deceived yeah I think like a bit, oh, yeah, yeah I a, see a more because what that does for people is it feels like they weren't in charge of their own decision right so like right. we're talking about making informed choices and having autonomy you can only do that if you have all the information um, and so that's why I think it's always important to consider that actually if you do disclose um, that person does have the right to decide if they want to have sex with you or not as we all do at any given time yes um, and so kind of being honest about it from the beginning, um, yeah, it might mean that that relationship breaks down or ends. Um, but that might be a good thing because well, honestly, like if you're, if you want to be in, yeah. in a loving, kind, respectful relationship, if the other person reacts poorly and is stigmatizing you and is making you feel bad over something you had no control over, exactly, it's probably better not to be with that person anyway. Yeah, you're. I think you're absolutely right, and and I I do and would always say that to people. You know, if if this is somebody that reacts really poorly, you know, is that someone that you want to be? Uh, given everything that we've talked about and how we actually know that in reality this is not something to really worry about. Mm-hmm. You know, of course they might be a little bit shocked, but you would hope that they would have you know some understanding and, and be cu- maybe want to get more information about it and, and understand more so that they're you know of course informed that's fine mm-hmm. but yeah absolutely really kind of poor or angry or aggressive reactions I would really be thinking you know is this somebody that you want to be spending your time with so yeah so I think you know I, as we reach the end of this STBBI <laughs> segment yeah um, maybe one of the if, if we can do a little summary um, Almost everyone has herpes. Yep. It's not that big of a deal. Yep. Take care of yourself and your symptoms. Mm-hmm. And also, if something is bothering you, make sure that you're going to your sexual health clinic and getting it checked out. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And, and it, there's some resources um, that are really great. There's mm-hmm. a UK website, herpes.org.uk, yep. which has some really great information. Yeah, it does. 
And then there's also the, um, in British Columbia, or I guess this is Canada-wide, it's called a Smart Sex Resource. And they've got a really great herpes guide for mm. healthcare providers, but it's actually really um, aff aff not affordable. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> accessible. Accessible, thank you. <laughs> it's affordable because it's free online, but it's also accessible and it has some like myths and assumptions that they challenge. Yeah. Um, and so I would encourage you to, to look into Smart Sex Resource, the herpes handout. And then herpes.org.uk yeah, for more information both on really herpes. Good. Um, both um, uh, both of those websites and resources, you can be confident that that information is 100% accurate. Um, and I would really just kind of want to add caution that please don't Google herpes um, because it's one of those things. And actually, as a side note, we didn't cover this. The reason that there is such a stigma around herpes, I don't know if you're aware of this. Oh no. So there is a medication available called acyclovir, which, mm -hmm. um, which can treat the symptoms of herpes. Now it was uh, launched in the 80s and they had a big marketing campaign around it. Um, but what they did was, that it was, it was like a very scaremongering campaign, oh my gosh. which was quite typical of 80s advertising. I don't know if you also remember um, around the same time, there was a lot of advertising around AIDS and there was right. like tombstone ads and stuff. Yes. That was how they thought they were going to get people to like listen, was to kind of scare them. And they did the same thing with herpes. It was like this big red lettering that was like the new disease that you need to be really worried about. Oh. And they did it because they thought that everyone would be so scared that they would run out and buy loads of this medication. They'd make loads of money. But unfortunately, actually, what happened was the opposite, um, was that everyone was so kind of embarrassed and scared about it oh. that they actually saw, like, a loss in their sales. Because people weren't being open and honest. Well, yeah, because, and... as we know, like, right. sh shame doesn't promote people to be open about things. It, it promotes them to hide. Um, but unfortunately, the stigma of that kind of scaremongering campaign has persisted um, to this day. So that's that's why it's something that's so difficult for people to talk about. Um, so basically my point was, um, it's not a good idea to Google herpes because there is so much kind of shame and stigma around it. There's a lot of misinformation on the internet. Right. Um, so you might read some really kind of wacky, uh, crazy stuff out there. So just kind of stick to those two websites that we've recommended and, and we'll pop them on the Instagram page as well. So yes. you can, can have a look at those if you want to. We will. Yeah. Now, this, uh, the second part of this episode is about May-December relationships, right. um, and it comes from the question we got from a listener. So here is the question. How do you feel about relationships that have an age gap that is 10 or plus years? Do you think that they come from the older partner wanting to fulfill a fantasy or going through a midlife crisis? Or should we stick to our own dating age lane? Mm. So first of all, I just want to say I'm super excited we got a question from I a know. listener. <laughs> thank you very much. Yes, thank uh, you for a great question. Dear listener, yeah, and a really good question. Yeah. And so when we when we started talking about this, um, we chatted about a lot of things, uh, but you sent me an, a chapter by Erin Gibson's book, Feminasty, mm -hmm. and it talks specifically about this, and I thought it was a really great resource um, and... Yeah, so I just want to plug that out there. If any of you want to read it, mm. Feminasty by Erin Gibson. It's a good book, definitely. It's very 
vivid <laughs> some parts I had to like put down and like process for a little bit before she, I start again she doesn't hold back no but that's a really great way and yeah. I guess May December relationship so May being like the symbol of spring youth mm-hmm. vitality mm-hmm. and December being like winter like being older towards the end of your life to- well I mean <laughs> I guess, but just like those relationships that have a really big age gap. Yeah, and of course, stereotypically, but most often when we think about these types of relationships, we are thinking about the older guy uh, that's kind of maybe dating or pursuing much younger women. Right. Uh, And of course it can go the other way, but that's kind of most often what we're kind of thinking about. And I think it stems from a variety of things, Mm -hmm. like this idea that um, women are more mature than men, right? And so if if I'm a 16-year-old who's... Actually, you know what? I'm going to go with my example. If I'm a 13-year-old who's dating an 18-year-old... That, that's real life. That happened to me as a kid. Um, oh, I'm so much better than everyone else. Like, look at this university guy who's paying attention to me. Looking back on it, like, it's totally creepy. Why For was sure. this 18-year-old dating me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but, you know, it made me sp- feel special in that moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of it had to do with, like women being seen and being valued as sexual objects first and foremost yeah and so if you attract the attention of men around you even mm-hmm. older men mm-hmm. then that's like increasing your worth yeah right um, and because we are taught either you know overtly or even like subconsciously through media and advertising and all these kind of things that our worth is primarily as a sexual object then we're going to feel really good when we get that acknowledged because we have kind of been almost brainwashed a little bit to believe that that's like a good thing and that's that's true. Um, so it kind of makes sense that you would feel that kind of affirmation really through having that kind of kind of um, attention, attention, yeah, yeah, from from somebody. Um, but if we do maybe, and it's you know we always say this, you know whether you change your behavior or whether you agree or disagree can always be helpful to just kind of reflect on well where do these ideas maybe come from um because if you start to do that then you might realize that actually i'm not quite sure if i do agree with this or Mm -hmm. or where does this come from or or are there some things on here that i should have a think about so let's say you know what like a 26 year old is dating a 36 year old Mm. um I think that you and I both agree that there's something a little bit odd about that, right? Like somebody who's in their 20s might have like very different life perspectives. Mm. Maybe they just graduated from university and are just starting out in the world. Whereas somebody who's in their late 30s, close to 40s, like mm. is established, um, yeah. is more secure, etc. And so maybe on one hand, the the younger partner um, is attracted to that stability mm. that the older partner brings. But then on the other hand, as you're saying, like maybe there's deeper reasons that need to be examined. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's almost kind of like a myth. I, I think something that gets sort of churned out and and I have also felt this you know this idea that like women are more mature than men like women mature faster than men Mm -hmm. um so this kind of idea that maybe you wouldn't want to be dating guys in your age range because they're not as mature as you well interestingly Statistics Canada um released the report and it shows that the difference in average age 
at first marriage between men and women was 1.4 years. Right, that's hardly anything really. That, yeah, that's a very yeah. short age difference. And so, but then we, you, go, you go to Hollywood mm-hmm. and you go to the movie theater and sometimes I'm confused with these posters. I don't know if it's a father-daughter <laughs> comedy <laughs> thing, but a lot of them end up being like romantic comedies where this yeah. like 50-year-old man is like seducing and wooing a 20-year-old. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's probably like a big factor here because, you know, Hollywood, as much as you can say like, well, that's not, that's a microcosm. It's not like a an, a, a, re- a reality sample of like real life. Um, it They have such power and influence over what we see. And when we see these things repeatedly over and over again, we do internalize that as being totally. But you're so right. Like, it's so bizarre that for some reason, you know, female actresses get to a certain age and they just stop becoming sexually viable. Um, you know, and it's very young. It's like 40 or something right. they talk about. Um, whereas like, Which is when women are really just getting into their prime yeah. for sexual Absolutely. everything. Yeah. And then men, for some reason, seem to be able to work until they're like 70 or 80 years old and still be casting aside, ca- being cast beside like 20 or 30 year old love interests. Um, and it is just, yeah, it's, it's sexist, it's ageist, it's creepy. Yeah. Um, and it really just kind of highlights the disparity in the whole kind of older men seem to be able to get away with dating younger women, but it's not okay the other way around. Totally. You know, or that, you know, God forbid you would cast a, you know, a 50-year-old woman alongside a 50-year-old man. <gasps> How dare you? As, like a, as, a, as a viable, you know, compatible couple. It's you know? shocking. Yeah. And you just showed me this amazing um, graph, graph um, which um, please tell our listeners about it. And you have to go and have a look at this because I think it's fantastic whoever made it. Yeah. So there's the Reddit user, Trust Little Brother, who posted a graph on uh, the subreddit, Data is Beautiful. Um, and it shows Leonardo DiCaprio's age uh, in comparison to all of his girlfriend's age. And um, very, I don't know what, shocking, creepy, <laughs> like I don't know what word to use. Go and look at it, it's Pre- amazing. Predatorily. Yeah. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio refuses to date a woman over age 25. Right. So since, you know, when he was 24 in 1999, uh, he was dating an 18-year-old. Um, then when he was 42, he was dating a 20 year old. (laughs) (laughs) So he just keeps on getting older, but his girlfriends are staying the same age, staying the same age. And that's like, and I think, you know, when I, when I see these, these beautiful, young, vivacious women who are dating Leonardo DiCaprio, like, I'm sure that there's an element of like, oh my gosh, I am so lucky that he would pay attention to me. Yeah. And I, I don't want to. Um, blame them or make them feel terrible for this no. you know but I think at the at the end of the day like as Aaron Gibson says you don't need an older man to show you the world mm-hmm. to teach you about good food to help you you just need yourself right and so when you think about the fact that our brains literally aren't fully developed until age 25 mm. um, should you be dating somebody who's 10 years older than you yeah I personally I don't think so I mean of course there's always the exception of course there's always like a really loving respectful wonderful relationship between two people who have mm. shared interests who's really on the same playing field etc 
But I think that in those kinds of relationships, it tends to be the exception, not the rule. I think so. And and again, it's just if you maybe. <laughs> so I'm remembering this story about when I was like, so I went to university when I was 17. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> And um, so I was 17. I was standing in like the common area of the of university, like my first year. And there was this guy, and he was like a TA or some like someone helping out. He wasn't a student, put it that way. Okay. Um, uh, he was bald, so you know, also put it that way. Um, walks right up to me in the middle of the like common area of the university. Like I don't even remember if he said anything to me, but just fully like kissed me. Like, Great. Yeah, straight on the mouth. Just. Love that. Strangers <laughs> coming up to me, Stranger kissing me danger. on the mouth. Yeah. But like, obviously, again, like at the time, like I was, you know, very um, kind of blown away, like blown off my feet. Like, wow, this guy's like showing me this attention. Um, and, you know, we saw each other for a little while. He must have been, I don't remember now, but easily 10 years plus older right. than me. Okay. So it was so when we were kind of talking about that later on and I said to him, you know, oh, you, you know, what was it that really made you kind of want to approach me like that um, in the middle of the common area? You know what he said to me? This no. is this is real. I'm not making this up. Oh my gosh, I'm at the edge <laughs> of my seat. <laughs> this is totally real. I'm not making this up. He said to me, "You reminded me of your little sister." What the? Are you kidding me? No, I swear, swear to God. So you reminded him of his little sister, and he was like, I'm so family-oriented, I'm going to go kiss this lady. Are you? That's deranged. I'm sorry. That's that's wrong. Yeah, exactly. So, wow. And obviously, 17-year-old me was like, oh, great, that's nice. But, like, 34-year-old me is like, Lucy, that was a Freudian nightmare. Why, yes. you know? Oh, my gosh. So, you know, in that, I think we could possibly interpret that there was something, there was some underlying mechanics to why he was potentially attracted to someone so much younger than him. As much as there was mechanics around me being attracted to someone older than me, that's think, what we always have to take into you know, account, I think, I think. Right now we're talking to the younger people um, in this relationship, but talking to the older people in this relationship, you know, we would invite you as well to think about what interests you about the younger partner. Like, what need is being fulfilled that perhaps you're not aware of. Right. Yeah. Maybe you are very anxious of time passing and mm. seeing yourself grow older, and so that's why you're attracted to somebody who's 15 years younger yeah. than you. Yeah. But then recognizing that, you know, like thinking of life stages and thinking about goals and aspirations and all of these things that make a relationship work, mm-hmm. um, it might be easier to make a relationship work with somebody who's closer to you in age. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in answer to our listener, should we stick to our own dating age lane? Uh, I don't think there's a yes or a no to that, but I would certainly say that if you do find yourself in a relationship where there is a big gap, it might be helpful to, to just have a bit of a reflect on, you know, like you said, what am I getting from this relationship? Is it fulfilling all my needs? Or are there maybe some things that I'm overlooking? Um, right. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think we both agree on is if there is a massive power imbalance or mm. this person is in a position of authority over you, um, that is wrong. Yeah. And that's a whole other, I think, ball game really yes. isn't it and um we would always consider that to not be okay not to be okay and so you know if you let's say um you are dating your supervisor at work or 
even in university, if you remove that power imbalance, mm -hmm. um, is the relationship still something that is healthy and good for you? Or was the relationship ever good or healthy for you? Mm -hmm. um, and keeping in mind that, you know, when we talked about sexual assault last week, mm -hmm. um, power imbalances are one of the big things right. to look for in relationships. And yeah. so um, just being really mindful of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, as usual, like if, if you have any questions or if anything has come up for you while you were listening to this episode, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you want to call us out or call us in, um, <laughs> <laughs> these are things that we are most definitely um, excited for. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as always, um, you can listen to us on your favourite streaming service. We are available on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. We're there at naked underscore exchange um, or our email, which is thenakedexchange at gmail.com. And this episode, of course, was the first in a series about STBBIs. Um, but our next episode is going to be on healthy communication in relationships. Nice. So if you have any questions about that or things that you'd like us to touch upon, please send us an email, send us comments, queries, anything we'd love to hear from you. And also, don't forget to review and let us know what you'd like us to talk about in future podcasts. Great. Take care. Bye. Bye.